quite unusual. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Noelle. And I'm Nicola. No, I'm, I'm Nicole. Why'd you say it like that? <laughs> you wrote it like that. Oh, right. Sometimes I write things for Nicole, and then she just reads them, and it's very funny. So this is part two of the Lizzie Borden series. Welcome back. Welcome back. If you haven't listened to part one, please do that, because um, there's a first part. And you're going to be confused if you don't listen to that <laughs> Yeah, before this part. It's got the juicy stuff, too. It's got the murders. It's got the mutton. The mutton. Ooh. That's, that's very juicy. Mama likes her mutton, if you know what I mean. Sitting out for four days in the hot August sun. <laughs> mutton stew. Please stop saying it. Rotting mutton stew. That sounds like, um, like a voice exercise. <laughs> Rotting mutton stew in the summer heat. Now say it five times fast. Rotting mutton stew in the summer heat. Five Rotting faster. mutton stew in the summer heat. Rotting mutton stew. I can't do it. Whoa, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. That's our warm up from now on. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good choice. I would like to shout out a fun new little thing that we added to our link tree. We are still working on our Patreon and we're getting some super cool content for you guys. But if you wanted to help support the pod in the meantime... You can now do so by buying us a drink. That's right. Buy us a drink since all the bars are closed. (laughs) As you know, we are always drinking some sort of alcoholic beverage when we record. And this week, our bottle of champagne is sponsored by our friend Spencer from Aliens and Stuff. And he was actually also the one who wrote us that spooky listener lore with the uh, the chicken and the bear, right? Yeah, where he had like the most haunted house and yes. he lived at Bly Manor for like a really long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So shout out Spencer from Aliens and Stuff and make sure you check out their YouTube channel. We're obsessed. We love it. They're honestly amazing. We love their show. They are three adorable British men who are now our best friends, whether they like it or not. Best friends forever. And a little spoiler, you may see an Aliens and stuff and quite unusual crossover in the near future. So stay tuned for that. So if you would like to buy us a drink and get a little mention on the pod, you can do so by going to our Instagram and clicking on our link tree and clicking buy us a drink. Yeah, you can buy us a drink, you can buy us a coffee, you can buy us... Let's be honest, we're gonna spend the money on alcohol. We're going to buy champagne. Yeah. And we'll give you a cute little shout out at the beginning of the episode if our alcohol is sponsored (laughs) by you. So please contribute to our problem and don't tell our mothers. (laughs) So if you'll remember on last week's episode, we went over Lizzie Borden's early life. Sure did. How her dad was a tight butthole and didn't have any indoor plumbing in the house because he didn't want to spend the money. Sure was a tight butthole. (laughs) Just do that. Everything I say, just be like, sure was, sure did. I'm into it. it. I got it. Perfect. There was also a feud with Lizzie and her sister Emma versus their stepmother Abby. Sure was. And then we got into the murder. Murder most foul. Murder. But mostly it was foul because they were all covered in like (laughs) diarrhea and vomit from eating crazy old mutton stew. It was fucking foul. Okay. (laughs) And then Andrew and Abby Borden got murdered. They did. um, After eating that stew. Mm -hmm. Lizzie said she didn't even know what happened. Um, 
she wasn't even there. Well, she was there, but she didn't know because she was ironing. And you know how, like, when you iron, you just, like, are totally in the zone and you don't even pay attention to anything else. Totally. That's the only way to iron. That's how I do it. Me too. It's amazing. And their uncle was there, but he was out for the day very suspiciously. Mm. And the maid Bridget, or I guess if you're a dick and you called her Maggie, <laughs> she was also there, but she was lying down. But also she was washing windows, so the neighbors saw her, so that's yeah. an alibi. Yep. Oh, and then Emma, the sister, was out on like a cute little vacay, vacay. at the time. So she totally didn't murder anyone at all. And yeah. no one even knows who Solid murdered or whatever. So without further ado, let's talk about the trial and see kind of what we do know and what we don't know. Yeah. Talk and about some uh, conspiracies, maybe what we think. I love a conspiracy. Because we always do. Yeah, I just put a chair over in conspiracy corner so I can like, <laughs> oop, 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 go sit down and I get to chat. Nice. So let's get into the investigation slash trial. Yes. Of the century. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know if it was of the century, but it was a trial. So let's talk about Pretty it. Pretty big one. Virtually the whole police department was on their annual picnic a few towns over when the murder happened. Convenient. (laughs) Very convenient. So no actual police arrived on the scene until every nosy neighbor and their dog, the leaves (laughs) in the trees and all, had traipsed through the crime scenes. This probably didn't matter too much in the end because it was the 19th century and, well, I mean, you'll see... This plays out exactly how I would imagine a crime scene in the late 1800s would play out. Right. And remember, they covered the body with a sheet, so they kind of just ruined it right there. Yeah. There was also more crime scene tampering. Like, they pulled Abby's skirt down to cover her ankles to keep her modest. (laughs) And then, like, pulled her shirt down and totally rearranged her entire body to keep her modest, which is a major eye roll. Her head was caved in, so I'm pretty sure her sexy, exposed ankles should be the least of anyone's worries. Right. I mean, the woman's head had been hatcheted 18 times. I think her ankles are the least of our worries at the moment. And if you've seen the infamous crime scene photos, it looks as if she's on her knees face down. But the reason why it looks like this is because... Well, like we said before, Abby Mm -hmm. was a very large woman, but also when she fell, the layer of her skirts kind of bunched up, giving the illusion that she was on her knees kind of hunched over. So she's not on her knees. It just kind of looks that way in the picture. It does really, really look that way. Mm -hmm. And it was very confusing until I actually knew what happened (laughs) here. Once the police department strolled back into town after their fun little outing, (laughs) they started their investigation. Luckily, someone had hid Abby's ankles, so they were able to focus on the important things without popping boners at the crime scene. Like, they questioned Lizzie first because they were able to focus. (laughs) Popping boners at the crime scene. Yeah, the porn magazines back in the 1800s were just like a bunch of pictures of ankles. That's all it was. That's all it was. (laughs) And it was so sexy. No one could control themselves. So hot right now. Yeah. Like, do you ever, like, look at an ankle and then you instantly get an erection? Every day. Every day of my life. Sometimes I look at my own ankles (laughs) and I get... Ladywood. Yeah. So hard. So hard. Anyways, let's not talk about our Ladywood anymore. (laughs) That's for After Hours podcast. Find it on the Patreon. Just kidding. It's not. We're not doing that. So like I said, the police questioned Lizzie, and her answers were strange, and they contradicted themselves a lot. 
She would also go back and forth and change her answers hours later. As Nicole said last episode, Lizzie was heavily tranquilized through this entire investigation and trial process. Yep. She was given morphine. She was given double morphine. <laughs> like twice the dose a person should have to calm her nerves, which I have never been on morphine, but I hear it's absolutely lovely. You know what? Me neither. I have never been on morphine, no. but... I have heard great things, so. Well, all you have to do is not kill your parents, and the police give you twice the morphine. Oh, wow. Double the morphine, double the fun. I'm not going to kill my parents every day. (laughs) So let's just keep in mind through this whole situation that she was high off her fucking ass the entire time all of this was going on. Nice. She initially said that she had heard a groan and scraping noises. Maybe she heard a woman call out in distress even before she walked into the house after eating her 58 pears in the backyard. (laughs) And then two hours after that, she told the police that she had actually misremembered and she actually didn't hear anything at all. And she didn't even know that something had happened until the bodies were discovered. Well, Lizzie, that's the morphine talking. Yeah. Sorry, Liz. I wonder if it has a different voice. She's like, hi, I'm Lizzie. And the morphine's like, hey, you gonna eat that? Can I have it? (laughs) I I feel like morphine would be hungry. I don't know. Hey, I'm morphine. (laughs) Like the fucking Mucinex commercials. (laughs) You're not yourself when you're on morphine. You're Mucinex. (laughs) You're the mucus. That's disgusting. Lizzie was described by the interviewing officers as having a very strange attitude, being very calm and extremely poised. But remember, her tranquility was fortified by pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Not giving her an excuse here, but I am just saying. Right. I mean, homegirl was hella doped up. Yes. I also did see that the police officer that initially interviewed her was Irish. And as we talked about last episode... They were super racist against Irish people. So I don't know if that's true. It's just something that I had seen. So you're saying, so she had a bad attitude because he was Irish. Yeah, like she didn't want to talk to him because he was beneath How did she know he was Irish, though? I don't know. His name was uh, Patches O'Houlihan, and he tried to throw a dodgeball at her. It was my uncle, my great uncle Patches. (laughs) Yeah. The police took note of her bad attitude and that her story kept changing, but they neglected to do a body check for any sort of defensive wounds or like maybe blood stains on her body. Mm. The police didn't even bother to really search the upstairs of the house at all. They kind of peeked around and left because Lizzie wasn't feeling well and she wanted to lay down. So they let her lay down. And they left her alone. Oh, nice one, cops. Yeah. She's like, my parents were murdered. And I'm feeling tired. You shouldn't leave. And then they did? (laughs) It was a different time, I guess. The police then went to the basement to look around. They had found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with the handle missing. Weirdly, some police accounts said that they found the handle. And then some said that they didn't. But that's 19th century policing for you. Right. Uh, yeah, so we thought we found the handle, but, like, we're not sure if we found the handle. No, I, I found the handle. Or did I? Is that the morphine talking? <laughs> oh, shit, it is the morphine talking. <laughs> there was also a report that the hatchets weirdly had soot and ash dusted all over them to make them look like they had been collecting dust in the same place for a long time. 
but the ash looked freshly sprinkled and didn't match the actual dusty items in the basement. Whoa. Very suspicious. Yeah. The handleless hatchet was believed to be the murder weapon, but none of the weapons they found were removed from the house at this time. They just Wh- left everything. Why? There. I don't know. <laughs> I truly do not know. Abby and Andrew's bodies were brought into the dining room for autopsies, right there in the middle of the house. Mm-hmm. And they just left these bodies in the house. Yeah, they did the autopsies inside of the, the house, the dining room. They left the murder victims. They left the possible murder weapons. They left the possible murderer. Potential killer. In the house. And we're just like, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. We got to finish this picnic, you know. Yeah. This bags game is wild. I was up by four. (laughs) Emmy and Andrew's stomachs were removed and checked for poison, as was the family's milk. Because remember from last episode, Lizzie Borden thought possibly someone had poisoned the milk. Yeah. Well, and because they were sick, but they didn't just think that that was because of the rotting mutton stew they just thought poison yeah and also days prior abby had gone to the police to file a report on a possible poisoning believing that quote the enemies of the family may have poisoned their milk to make them sick (laughs) but remember just please please remember (laughs) the 85 day old gross ass mutton sitting Mm -hmm. on the stove in the august heat And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that that's definitely what was making them sick. There was no poison found anywhere. Agreed. Botulize me, Captain. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, no traces of poison were found. All that violent diarrhea and vomiting was just circumstantial. Oh, just circumstantial. Mm -hmm. And speaking of poison, a drugstore clerk in the area had reported that Lizzie came in days prior to the slayings looking to purchase hydrocyanic acid but he did not sell it to her she claimed that she wanted this to clean up her fur coat which is very suspicious but i did look it up and i did find that this is a real thing to use acid to clean your clothes yeah certain types of furs you can use an acid and it cleans them really well i guess that's odd i feel like it would damage them but also i think maybe her first plan was that she was going to poison her parents right i mean she already had the alibi of abby going to the doctor Mm -hmm. and being like oh we're poisoned everyone's sick and then the doctor was basically just like you're not sick you're eating rotten food not poison right So I think that's maybe where Lizzie got the idea in the first place. But since she wasn't able to buy the poison, she was just like, fuck it. We're going with plan B. And plan B was the axe. Yeah. Hatchet. Hatchet. Plan B was the hatchet. Hatchet. It's so weird because they found a hatchet that had plan B carved into the handle. (laughs) But then they lost the handle. Mm, They threw it away. Yeah. Maybe they didn't find it. We should ask the Musa next guy. The night of the murders, the Bordens and Bridget, or I guess Maggie if you're racist, stayed in the house. Actually, they never really left the house to stay somewhere else, except for Lizzie going to jail, which I'll get to in a second. And I think that that's wild. They're staying in a crime scene, and that's just totally normal. Right. It's not like they didn't have the means to stay somewhere else. Like, go back to the boarding house that you just stayed in after Pigeon Gate. Oh, we could pigeon gate? Yeah. Yeah, All that is a gate. <laughs> That's definitely a gate. I think it's weird that the police didn't force them to stay somewhere else. Yeah. 
because they were they were living in the crime scene yeah but they didn't apparently didn't really care about anything that had to do with the crime scene so no they didn't actually i heard that one of the officers was like are you gonna finish that mutton because i have not eaten since the picnic (laughs) gross Police were stationed outside the house to prevent a mob of people from going inside. Because remember, all the neighbors had already traipsed through this to take a peek at those sexy-ass murdered ankles. (laughs) And now they were all waiting outside to be a mob? To get another glimpse. Oh, they were horny for those ankles. They got a taste. You got to do it. You got to. Alice Russell, a friend of the girls who lived down the street, decided that she would also stay the night so that Lizzie didn't have to be alone. Um, why didn't you just stay at Alice's house? No, that's not how anything works. You stay in the crime scene. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Which, so sweet. Am I right? If yeah. I definitely didn't murder my parents, and I also got to stay in the house with their dead bodies, would you stay with me? Uh, Probably, yeah. Oh, you're I'd so do it. sweet. I'd do it. Mm-hmm. For you. Thank you. You're welcome. I didn't murder them. You totally didn't. I didn't. It wasn't you. No, it was the milk. The mutton stew. The mutton milk stew that was poisoned. A police officer said that he had seen Lizzie and Alice go into the cellar that night carrying a kerosene lamp and a slop pail. Then both of the women left the cellar and Lizzie returned by herself later in the cellar. Like she went back to the cellar by herself later without Alice. He couldn't see what she was doing, but it looked like she had been bent over the sink. Very suspicious. So she was washing something? Possibly. Oh. Maybe concealing some sort of evidence? Mm, well, she was in the middle of the crime scene, so. She was living there <laughs> just for fun. On the 6th, which was two days later, the police decided it would be the perfect time to do a thorough search of the house, to look for bloodstained clothing, and to take the hatchet head from the basement. It was that night that Lizzie was informed she would be the main suspect for the murders. On the 7th, Alice walked into the kitchen to see Lizzie tearing up and burning a dress in direct line of sight of the officers outside of their house. She hurried Lizzie into the corner of the kitchen, away from view, and she asked what the hell she was doing, because what are you doing? Right. Lizzie said she was burning it because there was brown paint all over it. Oh, right, right. Look at this dress. It's covered in brown paint. Nothing left to do but burn it, right? That's such a weird thing to do. Yeah, that's... I don't burn my clothes when they get stains on them. I do. Always. Well, that's where we're different, I guess. Yeah. I'm just very wasteful. Then that snitch bitch Alice told the cops what Lizzie did. The dress was never determined to be an actual piece of evidence or tied to the murders. But still, I'm just going to say it. Real friends don't fucking snitch. That's right. Because you know what? Snitches get stitches. Motherfucking stitches. Um, I have to sidebar here really quick. But yeah. one time, Noelle and I worked for this company <gasps> where we had to dress up in giant costumes. So think one of those furry costumes or like mickey mouse at disney world yeah like the big costume characters and we called this girl that we worked with a snitch (laughs) bitch because she was and we got scolded by our boss and it was probably one of the funniest moments of our lives Mm -hmm. imagine being reprimanded by your boss for calling someone a snitch bitch 
It was absolutely hilarious. And we were in full costume character at the time. (laughs) He was just yelling at two giant-headed costumes. It was very professional. So funny. It was hilarious. The following day, Lizzie had to appear for an inquest hearing. She wanted her lawyer there, but it was denied since the state required the inquest to be held in private. Our tour guide, Louise, from The Trees, I'm sure you're Louise familiar. Louise from The Trees. Told us that the Inquisitor was super fucking casual about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And he told Lizzie that he just wanted to talk to her, kind of off the record about what happened. Big freaking mistake, pal. <laughs> this meant that anything she said couldn't be used in court as evidence. Now, I'm not a man of the law, but this seems like a huge rookie mistake on that guy's part right like how do you fuck that up it's your it's your literal job you are the inquisitor i am the inquisitor you are supposed to inquisit on the record well he was off the record it was just like two girls chatting about true crime you Mm. know what i mean they just kind of sat down like do you want some tea and then they started a podcast they had to got to no research no actual evidence they just wanted to chat about a crime got to yeah have to Lizzie's behavior was described, again, as erratic and contradictory. She's high as hell right now, but she still refused to answer a lot of questions, even ones that would consider would be considered helpful to her side of the case. Mm. She kind of went blank and just wanted to chat about true crime and not answer any real questions. <laughs> it's the morphing talking again. <laughs> no, I'm not answering any questions. <laughs> In regards to the morning of the crime, she said that she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, but then she changed her story, saying that she was in the dining room doing some ironing, some hardcore ironing that took all of her attention. And then she said, actually, she was coming down the stairs when he came home. Mm, Then you would have seen Abby. Well, that doesn't check out. Who knows? I remember when she was just like... I don't know, maybe Abby's dead. Who fucking knows? I was ironing. So her story is all over the place. She also said, like we talked about on the last episode, that she had taken her father's boots off for him and put on his slippers, or that he had taken off his boots before he laid down for a nap, even though his boots were clearly visible on his body, as shown in the crime scene photos. Lizzie was carted off to jail, and she waits there until her trial. Lizzie absolutely loved jail. It was like a vacation at Club Med for her. She had a little tabby cat named Daisy, which is very cute. She kept her there to calm her nerves. I think all prisoners should get pets. Yeah. Well, the nonviolent ones. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. But a lot of... I don't know. We're not going to get into prison talk right now because I could go on for hours. (laughs) So we'll move on. Lizzie also brought in a private chef to cook her three square meals a day. Oh. Actually, she ate so much in jail that she gained over 40 pounds while she was there. Get it done, Lizzie. Mm -hmm. Which means she had more dresses made for her because she was getting hefty. (laughs) The guards also loved her. They called her Miss Lizzie and they treated her like a freaking princess. She played cards with the other inmates, and she was just living it up. She was very popular in jail. Yeah, I picture all jail for women back in the day like this. I don't know why. I think maybe probably because they didn't have... Did they even have a real jail for women? I don't know. Because uh, back in the day, women weren't 
couldn't commit a crime, you know? No, so no, I feel they like didn't. they just probably like rented out a room at the Four Seasons, not the landscaping company, the hotel. You know? Oh, was the landscaping company booked? At first, yeah, but then they had to change it oh, really quick. Okay, that makes sense. And the women just sort of hung out all day and chilled. That's really what I saw from this. Right? It was just like, I don't know, a cool place to hang out with your gal pals. <laughs> and your pet cat, Daisy. Oh. Her trial would start on July 5th, but in the meantime, the press was going absolutely wild. This was international news, and people started forming very strong opinions. It seems that people in her hometown of Fall River thought she absolutely did this crime. Mm -hmm. But nationally and internationally, she got tons of sympathy. People at the time just couldn't believe that a well-to-do Victorian woman would be capable of this kind of audacious crime. Only a man could, or would, I guess, hack up two people's faces. Surely she was being unjustly blamed. Surely. Since Lizzie became famous over this crime, it was only natural that women's groups would rally at her side to protest an unfair jury. See, at the time, women still couldn't vote, which means that they didn't have the right to be on a jury. So Lizzie wasn't really being judged by a group of her peers. She was being judged by men, white men. The women's suffragists and the women's Christian temperance union were her biggest supporters, and they even protested during the trial, which is so unladylike for the time. That was a huge scandal. Okay, can we talk about this for one second? Yes, please. Women have only had the right to vote for 100 fucking years in this country. It blows my fucking mind. I know. I think that's something that people like to forget. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 2020, and we just voted a woman as a vice president. And we still have yet to have a woman president. It's absolutely bananas. It's absolutely fucking bananas. I just... mm. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. One day. One day. One day when we take over and everyone has to bow to us. Since Lizzie was basically super rich, she could afford a really, really great attorney. And she got some of Boston's most prominent attorneys at the time. Three men would defend Lizzie. Andrew Jennings, Melvin Adams, and the former Massachusetts governor, George Robinson. Which was pretty big news at the time. Whoa. And also, why do all of those names just sound like they have to be lawyers? Yeah. Andrew Jennings, Melvin Adams, George D. Robinson. Yeah. Esquire. You got to. You got to be a lawyer. Yeah. I think sometimes if you name a child the wrong way, it has to be a lawyer. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You just look down at your little baby and you're like, oh, I'm going to name him Melvin O. Adams, Esquire. (laughs) Just as an infant. And then he has to be a lawyer. Yeah. Or is a disappointment to the family. Exactly. This trial was held in a little courtroom above the police station, and it was packed to the gills with onlookers. The testimony was riveting, and by all accounts, this was basically the whole town's idea of some primo entertainment. Mm-hmm. Her lawyers told her to dress in black and act like a fragile maiden. The dress she wore was tightly corseted, with a flowing skirt to accentuate her feminine form. She held a bouquet of flowers in one hand and a fan in the other at a fucking murder trial. That is so dramatic and over the top and ridiculous. And I have to say, I love it. I also read that Lizzie, instead of wearing your typical Victorian morning dress that was usually worn to funerals, think, um, have you seen the movie, The Woman in Black? 
Yes, it's fucking terrifying. Well, the dress that she wears Mm -hmm. is your typical dress a woman would wear to go to a funeral in Victorian times. With like the veil. Right, and the high neck. So high collared, long sleeve, black. Well, our girl Lizzie wore a tight fitted black lace dress and a matching hat, which was not considered appropriate. Sounds hot as hell. It does sound sod as hot sod as hell. Hot as hell. So sod. And she did not wear a veil, which was a common thing. And apparently her outfits were just a big talk of the town. Every time she stepped out since the murders, mm-hmm. local newspapers would always report on what she was wearing and if it was considered appropriate for a lady who had just lost her parents. She would wear a lot of color, which was not appropriate and she was supposed to be wearing black. She was supposed to be in mourning. The The Victorian era was very serious about mourning. Yeah. All that super cool mourning jewelry with yes. like the enamel and the diamonds yes. and wearing people's teeth and hair Ooh, and stuff. I want a tooth ring so bad. I have a portrait made of women's hair. What? That was a mourning portrait. I think there's Where? ribbons in it too. Where? It might be in my basement. Oh my gosh, let's put it in the studio. It was my grandma's, so it's been in this house for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's very, very cool. And this is kind of giving me vibes from today, how Mm -hmm. women's outfits are scrutinized in every possible way. Yeah, exactly. So I guess nothing has fucking changed. Nothing has changed. Except technically now we can vote, but who even cares about that? (laughs) A Harvard chemist was used as a star witness He reported that he found no blood on two axes and two hatchets that the police had taken from the basement. Also, the dress that Lizzie had allegedly wore the morning of the murders had only a minuscule spot of blood on the hem, which should have theoretically been completely splattered with blood. Mm -hmm. But no one asked her why there was a drop of blood on the hem. Mm. They just ignored that. Well, she could have been like walking by. Oops. Oops. I got blood on my hem from my dead stepmother. Her attorney's main claim was that every bit of evidence was circumstantial, which it was. Mm -hmm. The prosecution offered no murder weapon and possessed no bloody clothing. As to the acid that Lizzie tried to purchase, they claimed she was simply a victim of misidentification and that the clerk had actually seen someone else and not Lizzie. Oh, okay, because there's so many people in that town, I'm sure. That look exactly like Lizzie Borgen. Right. Mm -hmm. Prosecutors had argued that the killer had removed the handle of the hatchet because it would have been covered in blood. So the hatchet head would naturally have been cleaned of blood and couldn't be used as definitive murder weapon since there was no blood residue on there. Right. And at the time, it's not like they had luminol or anything to check to see if blood had been there. No, they just looked at something and said... There's no blood on this. Yep, no blood on this. That's basically forensics from the 1800s. (laughs) One officer testified that the hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head. But as I said earlier, another officer said right in the middle of the trial, he just stood up and said, actually, we never found the handle. Remember our favorite snitch bitch, Alice? Oh, sure do. She testified that Lizzie was burning a dress she believed had been covered in blood. The defense never attempted to challenge the statement because technically it was true and people had seen her. Mm -hmm. And Lizzie did burn a dress and she admitted to that. Wow, Alice. If you ever burned a dress because it had brown paint on it, blood, 
Um, I would never tell on you. I'm just going to say that. Thank you. I would never tell on you. Thank you. I know you would never, ever, 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 ever murder someone. Yeah, totally. No. But if you just happened to come across the corpse of your enemy that you did not murder because you were ironing your handkerchiefs. Right. As one does. Not only would I not fucking snitch on you. Thank you. But I would also help you throw it in a dumpster. Oh, thank you. Yes. And then dump. You have to light it on fire. That's right. pretty obvious. Right. We're just cleaning up the neighborhood. You didn't make the corpse. No. But you're cleaning up someone else's litter. I'm doing a service to everyone. You're welcome, America. You're welcome, America. Later on, a dressmaker would go public saying that Lizzie had been to her shop to get a new dress when she brushed up against a freshly painted brown wall while wearing a blue dress. Hmm. That honestly checks out for me. I'm just going to say that. Don't be dumb and burn clothing if you're the chief suspect in a murder trial. But I do kind of believe Lizzie on this one. Uh, I think it could go either way. I mean, she would have had to get rid of the clothes she was wearing that day of the murder somehow if she murdered her parents. She didn't, but if she and, did. You're right, if she did. And blood turns brown when it dries. It's and true. I feel Alice would have been able to identify if something were blood versus paint. I mean, the two substances are not the same consistency. I kind of believe that it was actually blood. I almost feel like Alice just had a fucking vendetta against Lizzie. Like a frenemy. Like, best fucking friend. But if you think, if you see dried paint on a piece of fabric versus Oh, it looks completely different. Yeah. For sure. But had Alice ever seen blood at the, I don't know. I don't she was know. A proper Victorian woman. Proper lady. We'll talk all about conspiracies and what we think happened later. So oh, we sure will. Let's uh, put a we'll put a pin in it. Pin in put it. A pin in it. Liz's exact location was a big sticking point in the case, according to her testimony. Bridget or Maggie, if you're racist, <laughs> went to the second floor of the home around 10:58 a.m. and left Lizzie and her father downstairs. Lizzie told several people at this time. She went to the barn and she was not in the house for, quote, 20 minutes or possibly a half hour to eat three to four pears, <laughs> which is so many fucking pears. It's a lot of pears. But even the, the uncle testified that he ate pears before he left that day. Also, several pears. Were they mini pears? I don't know, but... One pair a day will do it for me, but maybe they were small because they were homegrown and not genetically modified. Maybe that GMOs didn't really exist. Yeah, so maybe that's why they were smaller. I don't know. I don't care, dude. Unless they were the size of cherries, eating four pears is unacceptable. Very true. That's so. That's too much fruit. (laughs) Which is also probably why they all had violent diarrhea. It's a lot of sugar. Combination of eighty-five pears plus eighty-five day old mutton. It's not good for your gut biome. Nope. Just a PSA for all of you if you were thinking about doing that. (laughs) A neighbor named Hyman Lubinsky. That is not his name. It's a real person. Okay. Testified for the defense saying that he saw Lizzie leaving the barn at 11.03 a.m. And another neighbor, Charles Gardner, confirmed this time as well. At 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Bridget, or Maggie if you're racist, (laughs) downstairs, told her that Andrew had been murdered, and ordered her to not enter the room. Instead, Lizzie yelled at Bridget to go get the doctor, which we talked about last episode. Right. I want to bring something up really quick. Hyman Lubinsky, which is definitely (laughs) a real person. That's the worst name. 
It's a great name. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Hyman Lubinsky happened to look at a fucking clock at 11.03, and also Charles Gardner did too. Why would you ever give such a specific time for anything? Yeah, that's true. I don't even know what time it is right now. If I had to guess, I wouldn't say 5.07. I would say, I don't know, nighttime? Same, yeah. And they it's not like they had... I mean, maybe they had watches. A pocket one. Let me check yeah. my pocket. I see the Lizzie Borden girl going to eat some more pears. It is precisely 11.03. He had a pear diary and he was writing down every time someone <laughs> in that fucking family ate a pear. He thought it was so weird because each person ate like 10 pears a day. <laughs> yeah, it was disgusting. They ate the seeds, the stem. It was so weird. <laughs> To the surprise of the Borden girls, both of their parents' heads had been removed during their autopsy and boiled down to the skull. Oh, that's disgusting. I think it's awesome. Ew. What do you think it smelled like? Mutton stew. <laughs> Probably. During the trial, their skulls had been very dramatically slammed onto the table as proof. Even though the hatchet head did not fit properly into each wound, it looked gnarly as hell and Lizzie fainted right in the middle of the courtroom this was like a courtroom drama a la like svu law and order Ooh, yeah completely unheard of behavior for a witness or a lawyer or anything of the time right and no one knows if lizzie faked it or if she really did faint but if she faked it i'm gonna say kudos to you girl kudos i want to think that she faked it just because that's hilarious I'm just going to put my money on faking it. A yeah. woman that can down 15 pairs in three minutes is not fainting <laughs> at the side it, of a skull. Right. And hatch at her mom and dad. Yeah. The judge, whose name is Justin Dewey, which is very old timey. Makes me think of Malcolm in the Middle, too. Oh, I love that show. Me, too. Justin Dewey. <laughs> so it's not as good as Hyman Lubinsky, but no. Justin Dewey. The judge gave a lengthy summary of the trial, which seemed to lean towards the defense, which is funny because he was appointed by the former governor, Lizzie's lawyer, just a few years earlier. Oh, okay. The jury of 32 men went to deliberate and came back with a unanimous decision almost immediately, but they waited an hour and a half in the jury room to not seem too hasty. They all voted to acquit Lizzie, and the courtroom erupted in applause. If the hatch doesn't fit, you must acquit. If the hatchet doesn't fit, you must, you acquit. must acquit. We're putting that on a t-shirt. We have to. That's a really, honestly, a great t-shirt. Yeah. We'll give Louise, like, half the proceeds. <laughs> we'll just send her one, a camo one, so she can still hide in the trees. <laughs> on her way out of the courthouse, Lizzie told a reporter that she was, quote, the happiest woman in the world. Which is a fucking lot, Lizzie, because your parents are dead. So maybe, I don't know, tone it back a bit, Liz. I'm actually very surprised that they were able to make a decision that fast and that they all believed she was innocent. I mean, I know that it was a jury of men and Mm -hmm. she was a woman and they thought she was incapable. But when they put her on the stand, she was just all over the place. She was doped up on morphine and couldn't keep her facts straight. So... I don't understand why they would take that as something to be like, yep, she's innocent. They just didn't think a woman could do it. And also, I heard she flashed her ankle. (laughs) That's just what I heard. She gave him a little peep. An ankle was like like a nipple at the time. Oh, my gosh. It was straight. (laughs) An an ankle slip? Yeah. 
She had a, she had a hard ink slip. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Can we say nipple on the podcast? You just said fuck like eight times. That's different. <laughs> Is it? God, what am I, Instagram right now? <laughs> Censoring nipples, but not fuck. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Lizzie's later life. A few weeks after the trial and the acquittal, Lizzie no longer wished to be associated with the murders, so she changed her name to Lizbeth. Because, you know, that's really going to throw people off. I wouldn't know who she was. You you look a lot like Lizzie Borden. But your name's Lizbeth, so it can't be you. No. Anyways, here's your poison. <laughs> Lizzie and Emma, with the money left over from their father's very large inheritance, purchased a huge house on the hill, which was the cool and hip rich part of Fall River that the girls had just always dreamed of living in. It sounds cool. The hill. The hill. Since Abby Borden was ruled to have died before Andrew, her estate went to Andrew. And then since Andrew also passed, his estate, along with Abby's, went to the daughters. Holy shit. They got... That's another important thing. So I don't know if whoever killed them knew that, but they killed Abby first. Her shit went to Andrew. Wow. Otherwise, her stuff would have, if Abby had, if Andrew had died first, Abby's inheritance would have gone to her family. Wow. I feel like it should have anyways, to be honest. Well, I did read that they gave, that they did end up giving her sister or someone in her family, like a little bit of the portion of her inheritance. Oh, like she could keep the house she was living in. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. They called the home that they purchased on the hill, Maplecroft, and this seven-bed, four-bath, three-story house is for sale right now. It's for sale right now. I looked it up just to see what it looked like, and it popped right up on Zillow. And let me tell you, it is absolutely breathtaking. I think it is the most beautiful house I have ever seen. I agree to that. It still has all the old vintage antique touches, and it's basically my dream house. And I know I said that. I know I said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Amityville, but for real, this Maplecroft is my dream house. But it's eight hundred and ninety thousand dollars, so I guess I can just dream on. Okay, if you are listening to this and you're not driving right now, (laughs) pause this podcast and Google three oh six French Street. River Falls, Massachusetts, yes. and prepare to have your breath taken away. Away. When, just gone. It's amazing. When I was reading your show notes before the episode, right. I took a little Zillow walkthrough. Oh, did you? Yes. And holy fucking shit, this house is incredible. It's beautiful. We talk a lot about murder houses and how Nicole wants to live in them because I, she's a fucking psycho. <laughs> but I will say, this is my actual dream house. It's incredible. Yeah. I'm Oh, I'm obsessed with this house. But the woodwork... The fucking craziest yes. wallpapers. Yes. The fireplaces. It has six fireplaces. Does it really? Perfect for burning dresses. Oh, yeah. So many dresses. If you're even a little bit of an old house lover, check this one out. Mm-hmm. And also it has a name, Maplecroft. Maplecroft. Giving a house a name imbues a spirit into it. And to me, it just makes it its own entity. And I could go on all fucking day about this, so I will <laughs> stop. But I just want to say that this house that contains the haunted attic is called the gnome home. Why is that? Because it looks like a little gnome's house. It does. It does. It's very cute. No one will ever see it. <laughs> Don't try. All right. So if you're back from pausing and checking out this house, we're going to get back into the story. <laughs> oh, fine. 
1897, Lizzie was charged with stealing two paintings, both valued at less than $100. Fucking just buy them. Once a klepto, always a klepto, I guess. I guess so. There were never any charges filed, and it's believed that she probably just paid for the paintings in the end or settled because we all know she could 100% afford it. Maybe Emma set up a deal with basically everyone in the whole world. Yeah. Like my sister Lizzie, I'm sorry, my sister Lizbeth, Liz Borden, who's not related to any other Borden except me, Emma Borden, who was related to a Lizzie Borden, but we're not getting into that right now. But it's totally not her. It's not her. If she steals from your store or gallery or house. If something gets stolen. Just call me and I'll fucking pay for it. Probably. That's a good sister. That is a good sister. I made that up, but that's probably honestly the case. Probably. In the early 1900s, Lizzie got super into the theater and would often attend plays, and she started to hang out with all of the actors and actresses who, at the time, were not considered a proper crowd for a woman of Lizzie's status to be hanging out with. They were seen as kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, like servers or busboy status. Right. So they weren't, I mean, it's completely different from now, but Lizzie was this rich Victorian woman. She should not have been hanging out with them. Which I don't really understand because... Fancy rich people went to plays. Right. So why weren't actors held in high regard? You would think, but I don't know. For some reason in Victorian times, it was completely different. They were like, they might as well have been Irish Catholic. Honestly. Disgusting. Am I right? Yeah, we're hating a lot on my people in this episode. I'm not. Oh, just (laughs) Bordens are. Bordens. In 1904, Lizzie met a young actress named Nance O'Neill, and for the next couple of years, the two women were inseparable. Lizzie even threw a huge, lavish party at their home for Nance and her entire acting company. There were rumors that the two women were actually sexually involved, but no one knows for sure. Lizzie was considered a spinster, which was just a term for a woman who wasn't married and was past her prime. But then again, like we said, that was probably like 22 at the time, so eye roll again. I am Googling what Nance O'Neill looks like right now. Yeah. She's fucking hot as hell, dude. She's so pretty. <laughs> she is really pretty. She's very pretty. Look at that fucking moody ass face. Mm. Yeah. Also, Lizzie Borden was ugly. Oh my God. Don't at me, but she was very ugly. She's she's not cute. Nance O'Neill, very cute. Nance O'Neill is very cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will have to agree. A lot of people theorize that this was her not getting married was actually just because she didn't like men. And you know, Obviously, back in those days, you couldn't marry a woman if you were also a woman. So others even went as far as to say that her and the maid, Bridget, or Maggie, if you're racist, that the two of them were romantically involved. Also, though, it's a little offensive to feel like if you're not married to a man, you have to be gay. Right. Maybe she just didn't want to be dicked down for the rest of her fucking life. <laughs> I mean, she didn't need to marry anyone. She had money. So. She didn't need no man. She didn't know parents. She didn't need no evidence. Mm-hmm. She didn't need anything. Mm-mm. There is actually even a Kristen Stewart and Chloe Savini movie where they explore that little plot twist of Lizzie and Bridget. Of course there is. I've never seen it, but if Kristen Stewart is in it, I'll take a hard pass on that dumpster fire. No thanks. No thanks. Why is Kristen Stewart the only... Well, Kristen Stewart and Sarah Paulson are like the only actors that can play lesbians right now. Because they are lesbians, and I don't know why 
Okay, fine. Hollywood does that, but that's what they do. That's fantastic. Everyone's a lesbian. We're all gay. It's 2020. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay. Just putting that out there. Yes. Um, but I just, I don't get it. I'm just kind of over it. I'm very over Kristen Stewart. Yeah. I was over her during Twilight. I Everyone was. So. No one was really like on her. Everyone has always just been over her. No. So I'm over it. Well, All right, we won't get into. You know what? Tune into our Patreon, um, or just actually head over to Nick and No Talk Twilight Hour dot org because it's an organization. It's a new podcast we're starting. Yeah, we're starting it. So head over there if you want to hear us talk about Twilight more. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe Lizzie was a lesbian. Maybe she wasn't. Regardless, whatever her preferences were, I support it. Get it, girl. Lizzie and Nance's relationship drew a wedge between her and her sister, Emma, and eventually it led Emma to move out of their lavish home called Maplecroft. Maplecroft. And Emma went to live with the family of her reverend in Fairhaven, and then sometime around 1915, Emma ended up moving to Newmarket, New Hampshire. That's really weird. I know. Isn't that? Did you read anything about the reverend being married or anything? I think, yeah, it was him and his family. That's so weird. Yeah, she just went to go live with them. Maybe in the meantime before she could find her own place. I don't know. I don't know the specifics. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm just, you know how I like to jump to wild conclusions. (laughs) Many people thought that once the sisters were separated and they had parted ways, that since they were in a feud that was so severe, they even, they stopped talking to each other. They never spoke ever again. And people thought that one of them would eventually come forth and say that they had some evidence or some information about that night, but neither woman spoke about the murders at all, ever. Well, they didn't do it, so what do they have to say? Nope. Lizzie continued her life of parties in the theater until June 1st, 1927, when she passed away from complications following a gallbladder surgery. Lizzie was 67 years old. Very young. Her sister, Emma, died just nine days later from kidney disease. Oh, wow. She was 76. The girls passed away nine days apart, and they were also born nine years apart, which is (gasps) kind of cool. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, isn't that creepy? That's sort of fun. They must have had a really close connection if they died so close to each other. Right. Well, like we mentioned in the first part, Emma was practically Lizzie's mother. Yeah. So. I can't believe they didn't talk for so long. Yeah. That's disappointing. They didn't, I mean, they ended up, they both died without speaking to each other, Mm -hmm. which is kind of sad. It is sad. Emma and Lizzie were both buried at the family plot by their sister, who had passed years before, and their parents in Oak Grove Cemetery in Fall River, Massachusetts. And you can visit Lizzie's grave today, though she is buried under her alter ego of Lizbeth. Well, how are you supposed to know it's Lizzie Borden's grave? <laughs> you just this look is, for the one that says Elizabeth. This is Lizbeth Borden's grave. <laughs> also, fun fact, we were going to go there, but it was snowing too hard and we yeah. opted out. It was very cold, too. It was cold and snowy and we didn't know it was going to be that way. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't get to see Lizzie Borden's or Elizabeth Borden's grave. <laughs> Both Lizzie and Emma donated a large portion of their inheritance to charities when they passed. Lizzie, as we know, was a huge animal lover and would take in and care for strays all the time, like the pigeons. Oh, pigeon cage. Yeah. She donated her estate to the Animal Rescue League of Fall River, Massachusetts. That's so nice. While living, she had three Boston Terriers and was a huge member of the league. She even funded 
a barn and other projects and she used to volunteer there all the time as well that's so cute i know boston terrier she would have boston right. terrier. there's a picture of her with i think the three of them i think yes yeah, she had three oh, that's so there's cute. a picture of them it's like her and it's all old timing the three boston terriers i love old timey pictures i know me too lizzie also left 500 dollars or ten thousand dollars in today's money to maintain and care for her father's grave which seems kind of odd she also I, I just read this too. She also left $500 to someone to desecrate Abby's grave. Really? No, I just made that up. But oh it seems God. pretty on point, doesn't it? <laughs> that would be hilarious if she actually did do that. It kind of would be. She also left money for some living relatives and friends. At the time of her death, Lizzie was worth $250,000, which is equivalent to about $5 million in today's money. Dude, they were fucking rolling in they it. Were, they were, yeah. Bridget Sullivan quit working for the Bordens after the murders because, duh. She moved to Butte, Montana and lived a quiet life until one day she fell ill and called upon a friend. Dun, dun, dun. Thinking she was going to die, like she thought she was legit on her deathbed. Bridget said she had something that she just needed to get off her chest before she died. By the time this friend made their way over to Bridget's, whatever ailment she had had cleared up. And Bridget was just like, you know what? Never mind. Just turned out to be gas. (laughs) Exactly. So no one knows what it was that she needed to get off her chest, but obviously we can all speculate she was poisoning the milk or (laughs) wink wink (laughs) exactly bridget died in 1948 at the age of 80 and she too never spoke about the events that transpired that day a lot of people speculate that bridget was paid off by lizzie but there's no evidence to support that really i sort of like that though me too we'll get into it but So that's the end of Lizzie's story, but her story is obviously one that we all know, mostly because of the jump rope chant that little kids made up about her. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about a little experience in the house after the Bordens moved out. Yay, I'm so excited for this part. A little ghost story. So a ghost story. As we mentioned before, we recently visited the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast in Fall River, Massachusetts. Also known as the LBBB. (laughs) the l triple b it is a bed and breakfast so you can stay there and you can spend the night and obviously several paranormal investigators have investigated the home even our homeboy zach bagans our best friend zach bagans which is my all-time favorite episode of ghost adventures it's the best one it's my fucking favorite i love it so much he positions a hatchet so it's leaning against a window above Mm -hmm. his face and he lays under it yes and then he dares lizzie's ghost to make it fall on his face so i mean there's that you are underselling this he <laughs> lays down with a fucking hatchet propped against we the don't window. know if it's fake or real though i'm gonna say it's probably fake. they did sell rubber hatchets that looked very convincing exactly in the yeah exactly the same either way i love it so much he props this hatchet up so that it would stab him in the eyeballs basically yeah and then he's yelling to lizzie borden's ghost hatchet me in the face lizzie it was aggressive and it's classic bagans I cannot talk about how much I love it because it's my favorite thing I've ever witnessed <laughs> I know. in the entire world. It's so great. So great. So if you haven't seen that episode, um, please go do please it. Please watch it. There were a few things that our guide, Louise, 
In the trees. In the trees. Mentioned to us about the house and all of its ghosts. So first, they're, they have this giant wooden Ouija board in the sitting room. I have a picture of it, actually, that we can post if we it's want like to. It's like the good OG yeah, Ouija board. It's like an old, it looks like it could even be handmade Ouija board. And our guide told us that the that particular Ouija board was haunted. And that one time, actually, a guest who was staying overnight stole the Ouija board, brought it home with them, and that this thief ended up mailing back the Ouija board with no return address, mm-hmm. just basically saying, this thing is haunted and we don't want it in our house anymore. They sent it back with a note that said, make it stop. <laughs> yes. That's all it said. That's amazing. It's Honestly, I wish we would have stolen it. No. <laughs> what are you, fucking klepto-lizzy? What's yeah. wrong with you? Yes. The John Morse room, which is the most requested room in the place, because if you remember, this is the room where Abby Borden was actually murdered. But our guide told us that she's only ever experienced something that happened in Bridget's room, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. It had a vibe, dude. Yeah, I can attest that when we went into Bridget's room, it felt different than the rest of the house. Yeah. Not in a bad way, just different heavier almost yeah. i would say it was like breathing on like a human day yes that's how it felt to me yeah and it was as soon as we got in there and it obviously it's a small room because it's in the attic and mm-hmm. it was the maid's quarters but it just i don't know it felt different it was very strange yeah our guide also told us that several of the guests who stay in bridget's room say that they can hear children running up and down the hall and then they can hear them laughing too one more thing she said is that they did have a couple people staying in Bridget's room leave in the middle of the night. Oh, right. I forgot which, about that. Yeah, you don't get your money back if you leave early, mm-hmm. but they just dipped out because they couldn't handle it. Now, obviously, there were no children involved in the Lizzie Borden murders, but there is a story behind why there might be ghost children in the house. I like this story more than I like the Lizzie Borden story. I, I think I do, too. It's actually. very cool. Uncle Lodwick Borden, Lodwick Borden, <laughs> was married to a woman named Eliza Darling Borden. Eliza Borden. It's just a fabulous, fabulous name. Eliza Darling. Eliza Darling Borden. But anyways, the two lived in a house that was next to what would one day become the Borden house, where Lizzie lived and obviously where the murders were committed. Where she didn't murder anyone. <laughs> right. Eliza and Lodwick had three children, one right after the other, and in 1848... Remember, the Borden murders happened in 1892, just for reference. So in 1848, Mm -hmm. Eliza Darling, who was 37 at the time, had a mental breakdown. She just had three babies. Yeah. Nine months each. All in a row. So she has a mental breakdown. Some say she may have been suffering from postpartum depression. So she killed two of her three children. By dropping them in the cellar cistern. That's fucked. So fucked. Eliza then took Andrew's straight razor and slit her own throat. Paranormal investigators try to contact these children when they're on ghost hunts. Mm -hmm. People who stay at the bed and breakfast also leave out little toys for the children, too, which I think is kind of cute. That is cute. And the third child survived. It was the oldest that survived because Mm. they happened to be at a friend's house. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, that's eerie. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that that's all of the Borden. All the facts about the, the Borden. Story. 
Do we want to talk about um, how we feel about this? Yes. What we think happened? Right. Yes. All right. Um, you start. So obviously no one ended up being charged for these murders. So let's talk about potential killers and who could have been involved besides Lizzie. And then we can talk about who we think did it. Okay, well, Lizzie didn't do it. <laughs> well, okay. We obviously have Lizzie who... Oh, sure, sure. She's got motive. She hates her stepmom. Hates her. Her and her dad have this odd relationship where they just mess with each other. Hate each other? Hate each other. I think Possibly. we should go as far to say that. She feared her father would die and his money would go to her stepmom and that she would be left with nothing. So obviously there's Lizzie. Right. Then we have Emma Borden. So she, all the same motives as Lizzie. Pretty much. She was 20 minutes away, though, at the time of the murder. So her alibi is pretty solid. Although some people do speculate that she could have come back, committed the murders, and then made her way back to Fairhaven. Right. She wasn't super far away. But at the same time, it was harder to get around. You couldn't just drive your right. own car. She and didn't I don't, have a car. I don't think that's possible because then she would have had it at least been gone for an hour, at least. Right. And the friends never said anything about her being gone or missing or anything. I mean, with all the time it would have taken to get there, commit the murders, then come back, it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense to me either. I think that she probably had a hand in things. Oh, I think she could have totally knew that the murders were going to happen. Yes. But I don't think she did it, though. No, I don't think she did it either. So then we have Uncle John Morse, who suspiciously was staying at the home on the exact day of the murders. Was it a coincidence? Was it planned? Did he help? He did stay there often he did for one or two nights at a time so we will give him that right but remember he was the biological uh their biological mother's brother right sarah so he could have been there to help though his alibi is pretty tight too he's too good though his alibi is fucking frustrating right so he was able to recite the exact number of the street carriage he took verbatim memorize this number the words and the numbers on the conductor's hat of the street carriage he was memorized was able to recite it verbatim that is insane to me right i mean unless he's rain man i don't know how you would know that or even want to memorize that doesn't make sense did he glance at it one time right i can't remember my pin number how is he remembering this and he remembered the names of six priests he spoke with who were on the street carriage that time very suspicious so very 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 suspicious so i mean there should have been no reason to place him at the house so his alibi is pretty tight too but why would he try so hard to memorize all these fucking numbers all these fucking names I can meet someone, fi- literally, I have the worst memory ever. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. But I can meet someone five times and still call them Bud because I don't <laughs> remember what their name is. Well, I mean, there's that. He could have known about the plan, though. And he- that's why he had to make sure his alibi mm-hmm. was so tight. But what's the most important part? Uncle John Morse was a butcher. Johnny Butch. Which was brought up on our tour by our guide, because if you remember, Abby was hit 18 times. In the skull. In the skull. So you have to hit the skull, pull it out 18 times. That's a lot of work. That's so much. And some people think Lizzie wouldn't have had the strength to be able to do that. But I think if you're angry enough at somebody, 
there that's a possibility you can definitely do that well that's why crimes of passion are usually stabbings and you stab someone 88 times because you're just so fucking angry exactly or so passionate about wanting them to die that you stab and stab and stab and stab and then four hours later you're still stabbing but you're so tired and you're like i'm just gonna take a (laughs) nap honestly yeah i think she could do it yeah it could have happened she could have done it we also have Bridget Sullivan, the maid, or Maggie, if you're racist. If you're racist. So she was the only other person that was there in the home at the time of the murders. But what would her motive be? Mm. She doesn't have any claim to the Borden fortune. Yeah. Some say that she was so mad at Mrs. Borden for making her wash the windows, which that's just stupid to me. I think it's stupid, too. And that's why she killed them. That's there were so many other reasons to kill these fucking people besides yeah. this. Yes. One, just off the top of my head, they <laughs> called her Maggie instead of Bridget right. for years and years and years. Right. Also, something that I don't remember if we mentioned or not, she tried to quit. She did? Did we talk about this? No, I didn't know that. Bridget tried to quit this job working for the Bordens a few times, like three or four times. Oh, I completely forgot about that. And Abby Borden paid her a huge bonus to stay every single time. Oh. So, yeah, she hated the Bordens. She didn't want to work there anymore. Mm -hmm. But I just, I don't see it. It doesn't add up to me. If someone's paying you especially more so if you threaten to quit and then you keep staying, part of you wants to be there, whether it's for the money or whatever. Right. I think if Bridget were the killer... Why would she wait for Emma to be gone? And why wouldn't she also kill Lizzie? Unless her and Lizzie were together. Mm, yeah, but that just, it doesn't make sense. No. Another thing about Bridget is that she did disappear for about five years after the murders. You said she turned up in Butte, Montana, which she absolutely yeah. did. But she just fucking dropped off. I'm saying fuck way too much in this episode. I am so sorry, everyone. <laughs> she just flipping dropped off the face of the earth for about yeah. five years some people said she went back to ireland yeah some people said as we talked about before that lizzie paid her to leave disappear right but either way she absolutely was gone without a trace and then all of a sudden shows up in butte shows montana mm-hmm. so that's interesting to it's me. very interesting so we have one more person that we didn't talk about because he doesn't really fit into the story but he's worth mentioning so Well, I don't even, I don't think he's real. I don't think he's real either, but I'm just going to say, so there's a theory that there is a man named William Borden, who we we didn't talk about, but the theory is that Andrew Borden had an illegitimate son. Scandal. And according to this theory, William Borden was mentally challenged and had been harassing his father, making demands that Andrew include him in his will which Borden, Andrew Borden, refused to do. The thought is that he hid in the home and killed Mr. and Mrs. Borden while Lizzie was aware he was in the home. He also apparently committed suicide a few years after the trial. Not sure how much truth there is to this theory or if Andrew even really had an illegitimate son. So I don't really subscribe to it. I don't subscribe to this at all to the point where I didn't think it was ever worth bringing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm glad you did because it's fun to chat about for yeah. sure. But there's no proof of William Borden being born, no. dying, existing in any possible yeah. way. So maybe he's made up and he's like a weird scapegoat. 
That's what I'm thinking, yeah. That I don't know. It just seems like a whole thing to do, right. if we're being honest. So I I think we might have a different theory here. So what do you think? Who do you think committed the murders, Noelle? Well, I'm going to say there's some pretty shocking evidence out there that we haven't talked about yet. Mm-hmm. What is so wild to me is that Lizzie Borden herself self-published a book called If I Did It, <laughs> where she put in there exactly how she would have done it if she had killed her parents. But no one took it seriously because she only wrote it about a hypothetical situation, right. not a real situation. Right. It's called If I Did It. You can get it on Amazon right now, mm. self-published. And uh, unrelated, but I'm suddenly craving OJ. Yeah. Should we turn oh. the champagne into mimosas? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's so weird because I also heard that Lizzie fled the crime scene that day in her white Ford Bronco. Yeah, which in the 1800s was actually a white horse. Yeah, it's odd for the time because it was 1892, but yeah, crazy. It's super crazy. She led the police on a really long, very, very slow chase on the highway. (laughs) It was wild, and then... The axe didn't fit, so they had to acquit. Exactly. It's just how it went down. (laughs) So besides that piece of evidence, I honestly think Bridget did it. What? Mm -hmm. Why? I know. I didn't tell you this before you did it. Because I wanted to surprise. Yeah, I'm surprised. I think it was Bridget. I think that Bridget was coerced into doing it. I think it's very convenient that their sweet little Uncle John showed up. Yeah. I also think that possibly John could have killed Abby Mm. and then dipped out for the day Mm -hmm. and then memorized every number he saw just to make (laughs) sure that people knew where he was. Yeah. If John Morris killed Abby, remember he didn't have a change of clothes. So how would he? He did it naked. (laughs) I know. Okay. It sounds very stupid, but this is an actual theory that Lizzie Borden took all her clothes off, killed Abby, put her clothes back on, like showered, put yeah. her clothes back on, killed her father, like naked, put her clothes back on. Right. And that's why there was a tiny little drop of blood, but nothing was covered in blood. Because if you're going to hatchet someone, you're going to be covered. You're yeah. going to get like Quentin Tarantino style drenched oh, in yeah. blood. Oh, yes, you are. Emma and Lizzie were the masterminds. Okay. Uncle John killed Abby. Okay. Bridget was either paid to or coerced or forced into killing Andrew Borden. Okay. That's it. That's what I honestly believe. So you don't think Lizzie did it at all? I don't think Lizzie picked up a fucking hatchet a day in her life. Wow. I don't think so. I am the exact opposite. I believe Lizzie committed both of those murders. Really? Yes, absolutely. Where was the blood on her body? I think that Bridget saw something or heard something mm-hmm. and that she lied to protect Lizzie. Okay. So I think that she knew, I don't think she knew it was going to happen. I mm-hmm. think that she knew that Lizzie did it. Oh. I think she straight up knew that Lizzie did it. But she but, just didn't say anything? Yeah, I think she just kept kind of quiet to protect Lizzie. Okay. I don't think that Emma knew about it. I think that Lizzie waited until Emma was going to be with friends to protect her sister because she didn't want to involve her in it. And I okay. think that's why... Lizzie committed the crimes when she knew Emma was going to be away. The uncle, I don't... The uncle is where I'm like, eh, it could go either way. I think he could have been involved. Yeah. But then I also think he could have not been. It's I don't, a coincidence. It could have been a coincidence. But the fact that he memorized all of those numbers... But who knows? Maybe he was just like a numbers guy. You, we don't know. Sure. So I have two theories. I 
believe Lizzie killed the dad 100%. Mm-hmm. I think Andrew, or not Andrew, John Morris mm-hmm. could have killed Abby, then left. Mm-hmm. But also Lizzie could have killed her. I think, in my heart of hearts, I think that Lizzie committed both murders. Maybe. Straight up hatcheted her dad and stepmother. Hatchet hard. Maybe. I don't know. I, just... I think the dress that she burned was the dress that she wore. Could have been. That's why Alice Russell was all like, Lizzie burned a dress. Yeah. Because she saw it and she well, knew it was blood. She was just a fucking snitch bitch, though, let's right. be honest. And if you think back in the day, I wonder how easy it was to change. Because, you know, they wore a lot of layers. I wonder how yeah. easy it was just to change, like, your top layer. They didn't check her underneath to see if it seeped through or whatever. That's true. So Why wasn't there... Was her hair wet? Did she wash her hair? Well, she she also went out into the barn. Yeah, that's true, to eat pears. And she ate a lot of pears. She could have washed up in there. All that pear juice. Yeah. Takes blood right out. I definitely don't believe that William Borden is a person. Um, No, I don't think so either. I'm going straight Lizzie. It was Lizzie. She did it. Okay. She got away with it. She lived her life like a boss on at Maplecroft with yeah. her dogs and Nance O'Neill and her actor friends. And yeah, that's what I like to think. I don't know. One more thing I did find, though, was that on June 1st, which is um, five days before the trial, there was oh. another axe slash hatchet murder. Really? In oh, Fall River. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. The victim was named Bertha Manchester, which sounds made up to me. <laughs> and she was hacked to death in her kitchen. I read that the similarities between the two cases were striking, but ultimately the man that was found guilty of this murder, his name was Jose Correa de Mayo. He's a Portuguese. I don't know if I said that right, because I don't know if Portuguese is pronounced the same way like Spanish is. Mm. Well, if any of our listeners know, let us know. He was a Portuguese immigrant, and he was determined to have not been in Fall River on the day of the Borden murders. Mm. But I think that that's a very interesting parallel. Yeah. And maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Well, I guess we'll have to... This is the first case that we've actually disagreed. I know. Isn't that sort of fun? Yeah. Agree to disagree. Let us know what you guys think. Um, Please do. Comment if you're Team Nicole or Team Noel. Well, if you're Team (laughs) Loser. Or Winner, which is Team Nicole. Or team, I don't know. Maybe you have your own theory. Oh, yeah. And if you have another theory, let us know about that, too. Yeah. There was also something that I just want to bring up because it's sort of fun, that Eliza lady who killed her children and then herself, Mm -hmm. um, some people believe that she was possessed because she was acting weird for about two weeks before this happened. And then maybe sweet Lizzie Borden, I'm sorry, Elizabeth Borden, um, (laughs) she was possessed, too, and something overtook her and she murdered the only people in the house, I guess, besides right. the sleeping maid. Right. No, she, she, it was her parents. She wanted that money. Come on. Maybe. That hot, hot inheritance. You gotta get it, girl. <laughs> Got to. Shall we read a listener mail? I do have a very fun one. Okay. Okay. So this is from listener Dimitri, the vampire. He's a real vampire. <gasps> oh, yeah. If you guys remember, we did our Rod Farrell episode mm-hmm. and we asked, if you were, if you identified as a vampire, to write into us. Yes. Because we have so many questions. We have a lot of questions. And Dimitri is very interesting. And he says being a vampire is very dope and it's a lifestyle. And he doesn't eat people, doesn't drink people blood. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't know. It's pretty cool. So I have a 
different story from him that I thought was extremely interesting, and it has to do with skinwalkers. Ooh. That's another one of my our favorite, my favorite episode of ours. That might be my favorite mm-hmm. series. It was so fun. Yeah. It was fun to learn and read and yes. just do it. I fucking loved it. Yeah. Anyways, Sweet Vampire Dimitri says... I started listening to more of your podcast, and boy, do I have a few stories for you. I am halfway through your Skinwalker Ranch series, and I gotta tell you that I lived in the area for a year. I worked as a graphic artist for the tribe, and I have a direct experience with a Skinwalker. Yes. There's a reason that the indigenous people don't talk about Skinwalkers, and it's because talking about it on or near their land calls that to them, calls the Skinwalker to them which is never something anyone would want to do. Yeah, no. He says, this is why I call them SWs, despite having wards against them in my home. So he's not trying to summon skinwalkers. Whoa. But I'm saying skinwalker about 18 times. So if it's a Beetlejuice situation, there's probably one knocking down the door right now. (laughs) He continues, I am only in indigenous descent and not Navajo or Ute slash Ute Paiute. To these cultures, I am seen as white, and even my indigenous roots have pale skin hailing from the north. Anyway... In 2016, a few miles away from Skinwalker Ranch, I saw a skinwalker without its skin. This is one of the most horrifying things I have seen in all of my days. So many speak of seeing them as wolves or other animals with glowing eyes, but this was different. The best way to describe it is like the shape of a werewolf in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, yeah, Lupin. Yes, but slightly more humanoid with glowing yellow eyes, and it seemed to be made of darkness. Like, the physical being was smoky, fuming, void. Void is the best word because it was darker than a shadow. Which, if you guys remember from our Skinwalker series, that is how people describe them. Yeah. Like, backwards bending legs. Mm-hmm. Like, like in Werewolf, yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw this being in La Pointe, Utah, on my birthday, late October. Happy late birthday. Yeah. And it attached to me despite me saying, fuck that, and <sighs> running to my truck. The truth is that running won't help. Casting spells of protection won't help. Once you've seen it, it's there in your mind until you figure out how to get rid of it or you die. How do you get rid of it? I don't know. Maybe he'll tell us. I hope so. The skinwalkers attacking the indigenous people of the Navajo and Ute is different than attacking outsiders, as you have noticed. I cannot speak of the indigenous people's experience, but what I know and have experienced from this is that their attacks are not physical. I was never physically touched by this being, but I felt it as though it was eating away at my soul. It came to me in dreams in different skins, usually that of a girl. I will not describe her because it physically hurts me to try to recall it. I do not usually remember my dreams or experience dreams unless it is prophetic or spiritual or a message. But this was something else, like being transported to an infected world where the skinwalker can talk to you and slowly break you down. At first, I didn't think anything of the dreams. They were weak at first, just scary dreams, not enough to wake me up from terror. Until it took a turn, I knew it wasn't me and my brain simply dreaming. I had another dream in late November with this being and it changed my life at the time. It woke me from the terror. It wasn't physically violent, but I think the reason skinwalkers attack outsiders is not because they were created to... Like, the reason they attack the indigenous people from the region, but because their humanity is so lost that they don't care what they're doing and they want the vessel. So they not only drain the person of their energy, but they plan on taking over the body completely. This is what I believe because this fateful dream, 
the being disguised as a girl, spoke a language I have never heard before, not even a language I could make up in my mind. And what really scared me is that I understood what it said. And it said that I was almost time, that it was almost time for it to take over. Kind of, but not the exact words. Needless to say, I freaked out. I immediately contacted a first coven leader who I knew a lot of, who I knew had a lot of information on skinwalkers, and I had hoped she had a solution. She did. Thank the gods. I told her what had happened, and she agreed that it was a skinwalker. I performed a ritual that very same day, destroying some of the things I wore when I saw the being, burying some things, and forcing the part of the being that was attached to me out and back into the earth. I made a ward with cedar wood, cedar berries, juniper berries, blood, black thread, and some symbolic beads. My advice is that you avoid thought of them when in spaces that they may reside. Don't speak of them. Don't seek them out. There is something more terrifying than simply dying. Please be careful. Please. Forever, Vampire Dimitri. P.S. If y'all want some high strangeness, gray alien stories. Yes. Let me know. Yes. I've seen a few and my mother has as well. Oh my gosh. Smiley face. Because he's from the area. So uh-huh. all of this is happening like in his backyard. Yeah. <gasps> that's pretty cool. That's Ooh. a dope ass listener mail. That is very good. Thank you so, so much for writing in. Um, if anyone else has a terrifying or fun or haunty or alien or skinwalkery or Beetlejuicy or anything <laughs> type story, let us know. Yes. You can send that to quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or you can hit us up in the DMs on the social meds. We're on all the platforms, even MySpace, at Quite Unusual Pod. <laughs> Please don't contact us on MySpace. Though. No, I never check it. Don't go to there. But we do have one. Um, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. All of our reviews really helps us. And if you subscribe, then you can know when our next episode is up. That's right. And if you want to know more about any of this Lizzie Borden stuff, all of our sources are in the show notes. Yes, the description. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can see that there. And if you have a theory, let us know also, because that's very fun. And if you have anything spooky that you would like to send us or even just like a letter to say hey we have a p.o box so you can send anything you want to us to our p.o box box which is one two one two in Desplaines, illinois six zero zero one seven yep hit it up and one more thing i want to plug like we said at the beginning of the episode we are working on a patreon yes it's We're coming. working on it. It's coming one day. One day it will be there well, for you. We just we want to give you guys content. We just you know, so we're working on that content to yeah. have it available. So it's super crazy cool when you do finally subscribe to <laughs> yes. it. But in the meantime, if you want to send us a drink, buy us a drink, buy a lady like us a drink in a place like this, <laughs> go to the link in our social media and buy us a drink. You can also find us at buymeacoffee.com. Just search our name. And always, always remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Bye.